this week on Breaking Badness. Today we discuss a brief public service announcement. Next up, Netflix autoplays Hacky Sack with Linux and FreeBSD. And finally, turns out oil rig and water bugs don't mix. Espionage Group rolls out fresh toolset and new campaigns. Breaking Badness is next. to Breaking Badness episode number 18, recorded on June 24th, 2019. I'm your co-host Kelsey Punception LaBelle, with me co-host Emily Cyber Arts Hacker, and last but not least, our special guest, Sean Pump Up the Volume, McNee! Thank you, thank you very much. (laughs) Okay, I got my wild cherry diet Pepsi, and I got my blackjack gum, and I got that feeling that something rank is going on out there. <laughs> he's he's ready. natural. He's ready to go. He's trained for this exact moment. His whole life. His whole life. Perfect. Well, Sean actually has been doing some fantastic research, and he had a very important NBC moment. The more you know, public service announcement from... Dr. Sean McNee. Thank you, Kelsey. This is actually a real PSA kind of announcement. It's not that fun or exciting. Well, it's exciting-ish. It's really important. Uh, It has been widely reported in several news organizations like Yahoo News, Washington Post, and the New York Times that the U.S. Cyber Command launched a cyber attack against Iran. We really missed an opportunity there for Emily to do her news intro music intro. I was thinking that same thing. As he started talking, I was like, this would have been... There we go. I'm very good at it. I have one talent and that's it. We all just missed a really um just confident nod from Emily. Again, to visualize the podcast. I try every time. I fail every time. Well, Sean, do you have anything else you want to include? Well, so we're not doing a more deep discussion on this point, uh, because we really don't know a lot about the attack itself. So I think it's more just a PSA to everybody out there that this came from U.S. Cyber Command. So these are the same people that put out Stuxnet. (gasps) So we need to be (laughs) ready to know about what different kinds of zero days or attack design patterns that are in this. Uh, We need to be ready for any kind of proliferation as these TTPs could appear from other actors across the Internet. So everybody listening out there, I hope you didn't plan any vacations this summer because we all could be very busy. Thank you for that PSA, Sean. Glad to be of service. (laughs) Public service. Um, Well, let's lead in. Let's get right in to our first article of the day. The Linux and FreeBSD operating systems contain newly discovered vulnerabilities that make it easy for hackers to remotely crash servers and disrupt communications, researchers have warned. OS distributors are advising users to install patches when available, surprise, surprise, or to make system settings that lower the chances of successful exploits. According to Ars Technica, one of the more severe vulnerabilities is SAC panic. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't make that up. Uh, But Sean, can you provide some insight into this particular exploit? I can. Uh, This is all um, coming from the TCP IP stack. These are where these vulnerabilities live. Just a reminder, TCP IP is the heart and soul of the internet, uh, transmission control protocol, internet protocol, the suite of communication protocols used to interconnect all devices on the internet. 
Now, these uh, issues that were discovered were not in the protocol design itself, per se, but really is kind of the implementations that were found inside the Linux and FreeBSD kernels. So coding errors, not design errors, which is good. So to a little bit of background here, I don't want to get too technical, but it's worth uh, going into. TCP sends data around in what's known as segments, and these segments are numbered, so they can be connected together once they are received. Now, sometimes these segments can be dropped because of uh, noise in the channel. So TCP SAC is short for Selective Acknowledgement. Ooh, Selective Acknowledgement. Yeah, it's a way that uh, the receiver of the data can tell the sender about data segments that they successfully received uh, versus those that were missed or dropped. So as an example, you could be sending out, say, 15 or 20 segments, and you could be missing 2, 8, 12, 14, right? And then you could say with SAC, hey, I'm missing 2, 8, 12, and 14. But if you don't have SAC, as soon as 2 is dropped, you have to send everything after 2 again. So 2 just says, send me the specific ones that I dropped. So it can really speed up efficiency, especially over uh, noisy communication channels. Is that, is that cool? That is super cool. Are you, are you guys up on SAC now? I'm We're up on... Down with the SAC. Down um, with the... Hacky SAC. The hacky SAC. <laughs> yes. So SAC panic. Um, so in SAC panic, a malicious data receiver could send specifically crafted SACs back to the transmitter, uh, claiming that they lost a lot of segments. So if a Linux box that is susceptible to SAC panic receives too many of these requests, then a buffer overflow happens. Uh, this happens inside the Linux kernel, and if a buffer overflow happens inside the kernel, this happens specifically in the socket buffers data structure inside the kernel, then the kernel panics, computer crashes, and it crashes hard. Yep, machine is done. So what does this mean? This means that a remote attacker can arbitrarily crash a Linux server by just sending it a small number of specially crafted SAC messages. That sounds like it could be in a Hallmark card. Especially crafted. SAC message for your loved ones. But not really, because you wouldn't want to do that to someone you love. I it's hope. like in the panic section of the Hallmark <laughs> store where you want to send, like, get well soon, condolences, happy birthday, panic! panic! That should yes. be a section for Hallmark cards. What a missed opportunity. I'd be oh sending my. those out all the time. <laughs> oh, so many panics, so little time. <laughs> when you care to panic with the very best. <laughs> See? We could be in the card biz. But not because security is so much more interesting. Yes. But moving on. So there. Yeah. Speaking th of security. Speaking of security. This this uh, this overflow guy here. Um, there is no privilege escalation or information leakage attached to it. It's just crashing the machine. Hmm. Yeah. Now all versions of Linux since two thousand nine. Yeah. Since uh, version two point six point two. How old was Abe How Lincoln? old was? <laughs> In case you are not privy to this, whenever we are trying to provide some context around dates to make it more meaningful, we like to we like to look back in time and see how old Abraham Lincoln was. He would have been exactly 200. He was born in 1809. All right, now that we have discovered how old Abe would have been, I think it's important to ask a very different question, which is, <laughs> other than Abraham Lincoln's age... How can you summarize? I know there are multiple vulnerabilities that were discovered um, and discussed in these articles. Can you summarize just a few of those that popped up? Yeah, SAC panic was only the first, only the first, and many more to come. There's also the wonderfully named Slack slowness, which is reasonably named, and the 
great, wonderful named excessive resource com- uh, consumption due to low MSS values. Wow, they just gave up. Oh, Truth I feel in like advertising. They had like yes. cleverness. They're like sack panic, sack slowness. And they're like, what about the third one? And they're like, we're tired. Like, <laughs> Coming up with excess whatever. resource <laughs> consumption due to low MSS values. <laughs> All right, so what are these two other ones? Um, basically, these two are different from sack panic in that they don't cause the kernels to crash. They just slow the machine down, machines down dramatically. In sack slowness, you send all these wonderful requests into the TCP queue, but there's no buffer overflow. Instead, the queue gets heavily fragmented. So the kernel has to kind of go through this fragmented queue over and over again and works much harder on networking tasks than it normally should. So this causes a slowdown for the sheen as a whole and could lead to a denial of service condition. Yep. So it just basically makes the machine work harder to do what it normally does. I like that description, a denial of service condition. It's not necessarily an attack. Well, it right. is, yes. but it's not like they're attacking. It's making the machine less efficient. It's when you make the machine attack itself. <gasps> My gosh. Yeah. This, the, the second variant is even worse. So, yes, uh, MSS values are a parameter you can set in TCP IP that allows a packet to say how much data you put inside the segment. So, by setting an MSS value very small, the attacker is basically saying, hey, I need you to send me all of this data again, but I need you to send it to me in very, very, very small chunks and send me lots of these chunks. So, this means a server has to send all these small packets back to handle the SAC request. So this dramatically increases the bandwidth need to send the same amount of data, creating load on the CPU and on any NICs attached to the system, and also causes a denial service condition. This is more sneaky because you can send these packets out, and then if you are a, a network operator seeing what's going on, you'd be like, oh, I'm seeing all these SACs and I'm seeing these small MSS values, so maybe there's just a lot of congestion or craziness happening in our and our connections, so I should actually check to see all of our wires are good instead of realizing that somebody has just you know, owned your system and mm-hmm. making your system work too hard. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, Curious. Well, I mean, you know, SAC panic is, is bad because you can crash machine right away, but you know, I wouldn't discount the effectiveness of these other two variants. You, know, you could be fooled into figuring out, you could spend hours trying to diagnose your network for things that are just somebody sacking you. Man, they should have called it Pink Slip. Wow, that would have been so much better. That's a great name. (laughs) A question I think on everyone's mind is how does Netflix fit into the picture here? Pun intended. (laughs) Oh my God, Netflix, right? Like, everybody loves Netflix. And I especially love Netflix for this. Are you still listening? (laughs) Netflix. Netflix has a dedicated cybersecurity information security team. I repeat, Netflix has a dedicated cybersecurity information security team. How cool is that? BRB looking for a new job. <laughs> Just kidding. Hey! hey. <laughs> but seriously, Netflix, we love you. Uh, so, you know, it's estimated that the Global Internet Phenomenon Report from Sandvine uh, says that Netflix consumes at least 15% of total downstream volume of traffic. This is globally. And during high volume times, like the nighttime in the United States, it can be 40% of traffic. Wow. So, you know, <laughs> given that sheer scale and volume of data going across, I'm not surprised that Netflix cares as much about TCP IP or that they discovered it, right? I'm sure they've been bitten by this just from machines that have been misconfigured. 
And they're like, oh, what is this? And then it's like, oh, are we being hacked? Oh, let's get our security team. Oh, wow, look at this. I think that that replay was perfect. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> look at this. Oh. <laughs> so we're not Netflix stocks on the security team. <laughs> well, so let's get to the mitigation here. Are there any patches available? What What can one do? Yes, there are patches. Not only is Netflix cool enough to have a dedicated information security team, Netflix wrote the patches to fix these vulnerabilities and release them as part of the reporting. That was nice of them. Yeah. Once again, Netflix for the win. So, I mean, first, you know, Netflix gives us the new Voltron. They give us Stranger Things. They give us the network testing framework called Chaos Monkey, which is super awesome. And now they give us kernel patches. Love it. Best of all, they gave us Dark. Watch it, I swear. Go watch it. Ooh, Dark. I got to get through Stranger Things first. No, you don't. You need to get through Dark first. Oh, so I got to bump it to the top of my queue. That's what I'm telling you. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Okay. And catch us next week as we discuss what Emily and Sean watch on Netflix. (laughs) Yes. So uh, these patches have been submitted, and they have been reviewed and merged into recent uh, Linux kernel releases. Uh, Red Hat, Ubuntu, FreeBSD, who's not Linux, but they were affected. They've all released patches for up-to-date kernels, so you should go patch. You should go patch now. Uh, fun side note, uh, Mac OS is based on FreeBSD, both different kernels, so we don't know if the Mac is vulnerable. But more importantly, you may have Linux-based firewalls or load balancers. They are susceptible, and they are out there in your DMZ, so you should look at those and patch them, patch early, patch often. Let's make stickers. Patch yes. early, patch often. Now, if you can't patch, you can mitigate. Uh, SAC is optional. You can just turn it off. Uh, now, this is done at the cost of network efficiency, so you know you may have to deal with solar bandwidth, but you can just turn this off until you can patch. Um, so let's let's get to the final question here, which is basically any recommendations on where folks can get more details on yes. these vulnerabilities? Netflix has their own resource. It's actually on GitHub, and they just published everything, including patches and a write-up. Uh, there are CVEs issued, so you can read all about them officially. And believe it or not, Red Hat has a really good write-up of all these issues and kind of what's going on. So you can read the Red Hat talks. Hats off to them, Red so to hats speak. hats off to them. Oh-ho! <laughs> Hey-oh! Too bad my finger guns never, like, matter just, in a podcast. Just um, always yeah. know that I'm doing finger guns pretty much always. So. <laughs> I don't know what you imagine when you hear our voices, but just always imagine we're talking with finger guns the whole time. We're just time. cool, you know, whatever. Yeah, ooh, just... finger guns with snaps. Fancy. Well, okay, so we're going to get to the final aspect of this discussion, which is our hoodie and goodie rating. So as a quick summary for those who are joining us here um, for some of the first times, we like to to give network defenders and folks that are on the front lines a sense of just how generally alarmed they should be. And because hoodie imagery is just rampant, rampant in the security industry, we use that basically as a way to um, distill our fear. So, um, Emily, I'm going to ask you. So the scale, first of all, is from zero to ten. Emily, can you give an example or a feeling you would associate with a ten on the scale? Hmm. Yeah, so a 10 is something that I pretty much consider to be like doomsday. The first thing that comes to mind is Stuxnet. Um, that was pretty bad, I'd say. And so I would have put that on a, on the the higher end of the hoodie rating were we doing this podcast back in the day. Back in the day. And Sean, what, what would a zero be? What would that feel like? A zero to me would be hanging out Sunday afternoon outside, a lawn chair, a little drink with a umbrella. umbrella. <gasps> yeah. Has to be an umbrella. What color yeah. would the umbrella be? 
Um, it says a lot about a person. It does. Uh, multiple colors, like a pink, orange, yellow swirl. Ooh. My first thought was pink. What's your umbrella, Kelsey? Green. Okay. Mm. Now we know a little bit more about each other. <laughs> yeah. And so do you. <laughs> well, okay. Now that we've um, set up that conversation, and just so you know, a goodie would be if something, as you can imagine, good happen. So we do like to report on happy things sometimes, too. So. Candy. Netflix, assuming that I'm always still watching, would be a goodie. I really want to set it up so I can just out loud say yes, because sometimes like <laughs> bending over it's to get too the away is a little too much for me to handle. <laughs> well, Emily, I'm going to ask you first, what, what would you rate this at, hoodie goodie scale? Yeah, so on the hoodie scale, this one's definitely pretty low, especially since um, there's no, um, as Sean mentioned, risk for your information being leaked or anything along those kind of security lines. This is just um, a threat of a denial of service potential. And it doesn't even sound like it's going to end up being all that big of a deal, mainly because the patches are already out. Um, And it's been around for the vulnerability has been around for 10 years, but not, you know, and used too much or else we would have heard about it before then. So I'm going to put this pretty low on the hoodie scale. Um, I might actually pull a Tim Helming and give it a one. Whoa. I don't think I've ever given a one. (sighs) Let's mark this over in their calendars. Have to remember this moment. We will remember it forever. Finger guns. All right, Sean. Yes. Uh, I'm going to go a little higher than Emily on this. I'm going to give it a two hoodies. And that's that's because now that there are CVEs, uh, the exploits will come. The script kiddies will just come out and try to attack machines just for the lulls, right? <laughs> Those darn so, script kiddies. so if you don't if you don't patch fast, something's going to crash. Something's going to slow down. It's going to be annoyance. So you will have to deal with it. That kind of sounded like a rhyme there for a minute. If you don't patch fast, something's going to crash. <laughs> like, I don't know. It had something going for it. You're uh, just like, full of sticker opportunities. You are. Thank you, Sean Stickerman McNee. <laughs> now, can can I can I also give a goodie? I, the, you can do whatever you want, man. Committee accepts. All right, Netflix, you get four goodies. That's <gasps> <laughs> an appropriate plan. <laughs> just because <laughs> you, you, you have this uh, information security team, and it's kind of hardcore to, to dig through the TCP IP stack and actually find this. So that's pretty awesome. Took 10 years for someone to find it? Yeah. <laughs> Might as well What's be that for? <laughs> Took 10 years. Across the desert. <laughs> We've been suffering. Gallons of LaCroix consumed. Oh, for real, though. <laughs> All right. Well, let's shift on into our next topic. Turns out oil, rig, and water bugs don't mix. The water bug espionage group, a.k.a. Turla, we'll come back to that, has continued to attack governments and international organizations over the past 18 months in a series of campaigns that have featured a rapidly evolving tool set and, in one notable instance, the apparent hijacking of another espionage group's infrastructure. Can I just say, <laughs> all right, Sean, can you explain how that just happened? You opened your mouth and spoke. <laughs> the tra-la-la-la-la? Tra-la-la-la-la. Well, it's this great video um, back from Soviet TV of that guy singing. Um, that guy. I, I don't know the his tr- name. No one knows his name. I think people know his name. Oh, someone knows his name, maybe. Wow. He nailed it. He nailed it. I'm sorry that I led us into this because you should have been first chair in the tra-la-la-la-la-ling. You should have. Thank you. You're welcome. I appreciate that. You can add that to your LinkedIn. I'll endorse you for it. 
Your skills include lying. All right. Well, onward to more important topics here for Emily. So um, I noticed when I was reading through the water bug activity um, that there appeared just similar to last week. We had this conversation, too. It seems to be pretty um, common to happen across campaigns here. But there were three waves of attacks from what I read. And so, Emily, can you start by providing a brief description of the first wave um, in the first section of the campaign? Sure. So really quickly, I'll give a mini background on Turla, uh, Turla la la la, um, which Symantec is calling water bug, which is where that name comes from. You might have also heard them referred to as venomous bear. Aren't they also snake? Yes. So mm, so many names. It's like one of those things where you can just write random words on like a slip of paper and put them in a hat and pull it out. And chances are it'll be a name for this group, it feels <laughs> like. So um, first of all, they are pretty well known and they're likely associated with Russia. They've been around for a really long time, um, since at least 2014, um, maybe even before. Um, and they are most known for targeting government sector. Uh, they have really sophisticated tools. They're pretty crafty. Um, they've been known in the past to use like satellite link internet for their command and control. Um, and they have spread single campaigns across multiple methods, such as using spear phishing and watering holes for the same campaign, just to get the widest distribution of their malware. So they've actually been so active over the last five years that I'm kind of having to gloss over the highlights of their work. Can I say my favorite thing about them? Yes. They were part of the Britney Spears Instagram account oh, command yes. control server. I remember that. Which is the coolest thing ever. There was comments on Britney Spears Instagram that was that they were using for command and control communication. Yeah. Oh my gosh. But just know basically that is the peak of their career. No. But like they <laughs> that's just a good point, Sean. Thank you. Because it goes to point out how I, I feel like that's a good descriptor of just how crafty they are. Like, they're mm -hmm. not just, like, the usual suspect kind of APT. They really go out of their way to try, like, new and exciting uh, methods of infecting their enemies. So just know that they are um, no stranger to conducting high-level espionage campaigns before we delve into this particular campaign, which I will do now. So the first campaign and this story from Symantec, Kelsey, that you mentioned, um, was using a backdoor called Neptune or Neptun. Again, with the words that are completely unpronounceable. Thank you, the InfoSec community. <laughs> um, what Neptun is, um, is a backdoor that's installed on Microsoft Exchange servers and is designed to passively listen for commands from the attackers. Um, when it gets those commands, it can then be used to download, you know, tools, additional malware. It can upload files to the attackers um, and it can execute shell commands. During this particular campaign, um, the Turla group seems to have taken over uh, infrastructure used by another APT. Um, that was just for this particular campaign out of the three campaigns, though, I believe. Hmm. Okay. So let's maybe talk about the second wave then. Yeah, the second wave looked like it used Meterpreter, which is a tool that they've used in the past, um, at, but... This version was a little bit different in that it was disguised as a .wav file to try and avoid detection. So before I get overly excited about the tool set, which is our next question, I would like to ask what happened in the third wave? The third campaign used a backdoor that seems to have been derived from PowerShell Runner, which is a publicly available tool used to execute PowerShell scripts without using PowerShell.exe. Um, like Meterpreter in the second campaign, this backdoor was also designed to evade detection, so there really going um they're really living up to the advanced 
nomenclature of advanced persistent threat and trying to evade detection here. They, they are putting on their stealth hats and their stealth masks. And, and their stealth gloves. Yes. And their stealth clothes. <laughs> Going full stealth. Stealth shoes. Are they even wearing shoes? That's not very stealth of them if they were. Yeah, no, PowerShell, PowerShell Runner is a good way of actually getting around people detecting if PowerShell's been launched or not. So this is this is sneaky of them. Sneaky, sneaky. Yeah. Well, getting to the question I've been very excited to ask you, Emily, what what are some of the new tools that you want to highlight that were deployed in these campaigns? Yeah, so besides the three tools that we already talked about that were pretty cool, they actually used a lot of additional custom or um, publicly available tools that they had modified. So Symantec noted that the group had actually made a shift towards living off the land by using, um, as we mentioned, like PowerShell. Uh, This is not unique necessarily to Turtle. It's actually a trend that is seemingly popular among many APT groups and non-APT groups, just regular old groups. But it's still interesting to note that Turtle is taking this route. Um, Although they have been known to use some of these tools in the past, I do feel like it's notable that Symantec feels that maybe they're shifting even more towards using them. Um, of note, there was a few of them that Symantec not- noted that I felt were um, particularly interesting, such as, quote, a custom hacking tool that combines four of the leaked equation group tools, Eternal Blue, Eternal Romance, Double Pulsar, and SMB Touch, into a single executable, as well as a USB data collection tool that checks for c- a connected USB device and steals certain file types. It then uses WebDAV to upload to a BoxCloud drive. They've also used publicly available tools such as IntelliAdmin to execute RPC commands, um, SCAN and MBTScan for network reconnaissance, PSExec for execution and lateral movement, and Mimikatz for credential theft. Um, so I'm going to stop reading because it's becoming just like a listicle. <laughs> Top oh, three tools used yeah. by Turley Group. It's, it's a lot of stuff. But yeah, yeah point being, They've been they busy. have been quite busy. <laughs> yeah, they are they're shifting their TTPs. They're trying to be agile and once again stealthy with their stealth hat. Stealthy with stealth hat. Well, speaking of lists too that I know that there are a lot of different groups that were impacted by these campaigns. And so that full list will be included in the blog post. Feel free to check that out um, at blog.dummydoodles.com. But um, Emily, if you could summarize, generally speaking, who was impacted, that'd be super helpful. Yeah, for sure. Shout out actually to Symantec for including the um, victim analysis in this report, because I do feel like I've seen a lot of um, int- like uh, reports lately that don't that just seem to be like technical analyses of malware and don't actually include the additional intelligence information. And this one from Symantec did, and I, as an intelligence analyst, greatly appreciated it. So thank you, Symantec. Um, What they did note is that it seemed that this time Turlo was mostly sticking with what they know best, which is targeting government um, agencies or whatever in Latin America, Middle East, European, South Asia, basically just all over. Um, But it also looked like they had targeted some groups within the IT and education sectors as well. So um, pretty in line for Turla's previous campaigns. It's, it's quite a list of, of uh, people who have been attacked. Well, on the blog, you'll see a numbered list <laughs> of those affected uh, by these campaigns. Um, and let's, let's end this conversation before we go into the hoodie goodie scale on, um, oh, I, I love stories like this. Um, the, something that caught my eye from Symantec's article is that Waterbug appeared to hijack infrastructure from the Crambus espionage group. So is there any color commentary you'd like to add to this, Emily? Sure. So let me just point out, Krambus, what a name, is more commonly known, I feel like, as oil rig and 
AB 234. We've talked about them pretty extensively in the past on our podcast. Um, but usually they're the ones that are conducting the campaigns when we talk about them. And in this case, they were on the receiving end. So a little bit of a twisteroo there. But um, Ooh, <laughs> the <old> twisteroo. <laughs> um, in this case, yeah, Turla seems to have taken over some of oil rigs infrastructure for this campaign. Um which they then used to infect oil rigs network. Turtle is associated with Russia. Oil rig is most likely associated with Iran. So it doesn't really seem likely that they were somehow working together. I mean, if the whole infected network thing didn't scream that loud enough. Um, so it really does just seem like Turla was being opportunistic in this takeover. That doesn't really surprise me too much coming from Turla since we just did talk about how they have been pretty advanced, um, persistent, and a threat in the past. So this is uh, something that was in line with their campaigns over the past five years. Um, and in addition, this is actually not the first instance of APT on APT violence. <laughs> There's been instances of two APT. Really? They, they, they fight each other too? I mean, that's what's happening here, I would say. I would say this is them fighting each other. But usually, it, hilariously, is APTs from the same country tripping over each other. I've Whoopsie actually daisy. seen that multiple times with North Korea, two North Korean groups and separately to Russian groups, not realizing that they ha- were trying to infect the same oh, wow. target. Someone didn't read the memo. Right. Or actually, you know, in <laughs> Russia's case, at least, there probably was no memo. But um, and there has been one other time when a Chinese group took over Russian a Russian APT's infrastructure. But in that case, they were actually trying to steal information about Russia from that group. So that group was their target. So this one feels a little bit different in mm-hmm. that it doesn't necessarily seem like oil rig slash APT-34 slash Krambus was like their main directive to target them. It seems like it was kind of opportunistic. They got a hold of their infrastructure and they were like, hmm, might as well, you know, see what we can get from them. Yeah. So I just found it interesting that they weren't, it was not a campaign that specifically targeted just oil rig oil rig seems to have been somewhat collateral damage in this whole campaign hmm well the article like even suggests that maybe oil rig was you know already attacking some of their intended targets so then mm-hmm. you know you have Turla's like oh they're already in we'll just sneak in through them get our foothold and then land and expand ourselves. pretty easy that's what they were singing the whole time yes yep. they were Makes them very efficient because you want to be done with that quickly. You're going to have to sing that the entire time. Well, let's give our hoodie and goodie scores. Sean, I'm going to start with you. What are you going to rate this at? Well, you know, I'm not really shocked about Turla doing this. I mean, they're like the big bad boogeyman kind of APTs. Like, they're the kind of APT that makes me want to go home and unplug my router and crawl up (laughs) under a blanket and cry kind of APT. Maybe talk to someone about that, Sean. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> uh, maybe I uh, should, right? Whereas, whereas if you look at oil rig, right, like I'm going to give a shout out to Palo Alto Units 42, right? Their official description of oil rig is, quote unquote, not particularly sophisticated. That's a burn. The Canadian that, tuxedo. It's So burn. they're not particularly sophisticated. So it's like a NSAPT, not so advanced persistent threat. Yeah. Well, they they do say, though, they are very persistent. So... Okay. <laughs> Emily still like, stands. What, what yep. do I use? <laughs> I was thinking of like parentheses to yeah. clarify that not so was just but, related to advanced. I mean, basically, like if Turla wants to get into your network, even if you're another APT, like Turla's going to get into your network, 
right. So we'll find a way. Given that we're talking about Turla, like to me, this this hoodie score is high because I'm personally scared of Turla. So I'll, <laughs> I'll give it like a seven. All right, right, Emily, do you occur? Do you concur with that? Um, yeah, I do think that this one is certainly um, something that's a little bit higher. They listed a, a slew of targets, and I think it's interesting to note how many of them are government and how many of them are not from the same country. Mm-hmm. So um, the fact that they were had such a, a widespread list of targets and are usually quite successful in their endeavors, um, I would say that this is pretty high. Probably... I mean, I can I can be talked into a seven. Give it a seven. I'll give it a seven. Okay. Seven it is. All right, that's a pretty high one. We will keep an eye on this APT war, and we'll get back to you. Well, Sean, I really want to thank you for coming on and being a guest on our show today. You it's had been wonderful awesome. Insight. Good. I'm glad. Thank, thank you for inviting me. We didn't scare. You are always invited. Ooh, be careful what you ask for, Sean. He'll be there. He hasn't asked yet, but I'm going to assumptively. Close on another Sean guest appearance. Um, I'll be back. Okay. One day. Emily, okay. I'll do it again. We kind of liked having you on. I know. Every now and then I show up and people are like, oh, that girl. Okay. No. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Thank you so much for your diving deep into the APT cesspools. Oh, that's a great descriptor. Ooh, the cesspools. So that's that's all we have for this week. We hope to see you next week. Check out the blog. We will be linking the Russian tune. As promised, that doesn't bring you to the blog. I don't know what will. So thank you both again. That's about all we have for this week. You can find us on Twitter at Domain Tools. All of the articles mentioned today will be included in our blog post, which can be found at blog.domaintools.com. Catch us every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific time when we publish our podcast and blog. That's it for this week. We'll see you again next week on another episode of Breaking Badness. Until then, remember, don't drink and click.